Hello, everyone, and welcome to Big Show Number Twenty for Treks in Sci-Fi. This is your host Rico. It's Sunday, January the eighth, two thousand and five. We're going to look at a little different uh, Star Trek uh, series this week, along with some other goodies. So stay tuned. Here comes the show. job I've been ordered to do to the best of my ability, sir. Yes, Benjamin, he knows I'm a trill. He finds it fascinating. We explore the galaxy, trying to expand the boundaries of our knowledge. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hi, everyone, again. This is your host, Rico, and this is show number 20, like I said uh, at the beginning for Trexan Sci-Fi for the podcast. Uh, yeah, this is the 20th one I've done now. Actually, I, I think it's really 21 if I count the first beta podcast that I did. But um, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. been talking to uh, a lot of different people over Skype and on my forums on the, uh, the website for the show, which is www.treksf.com or just treksinsci-fi.com will get you there. It's uh, It's been a lot of uh, interesting... Uh, times uh, i think in the last few months talking about star trek science fiction on the show and now we're at uh, show number 20 this week i am i'm really going to work at trying to get rid of that air p kind of sound on my podcast so i've i'm trying hard to not sit right on top of the microphone as i record so if anyone wants to shoot me an email comment about if it sounds any clearer or better uh, the email again for me for the show is treksf at gmail.com, so I'd appreciate comments on that. Uh, I'm thinking I need to get some kind of a, uh, they have these like windscreen things or whatever that you put in front of a mic to kind of block that uh, air. I've been listening to other podcasts, and I notice even people that have been doing podcasts for quite a long time, that little puff kind of noise uh, still happens even on their shows, so it seems to be uh, still... Uh, kind of a difficult thing to remove. So anyway, enough about uh, the technical things. This week, as you heard in the music that I used in the beginning of the show, the um, series, Star Trek series, that I'm going to look at for the first time on the show in depth is Deep Space Nine. Now, um, I'll save most of the comments for later in the show, but just wanted to say that this is a, is a really good Star Trek series, something that I've uh, enjoyed over the years, and I'm looking forward to talking to talking about that Mainly, I'm going to be talking about the first pilot episode uh, called The Emissary for Deep Space Nine. So that's coming up uh, very shortly in the show. But the uh, first uh, area that I wanted to talk about is new things on um, in movies and uh, sci-fi TV. So that's coming up in a second. Okay, the um, 
the main things I wanted to talk about in uh, sci-fi and uh, TV news for this week were um, a couple of things. One, the Sci-Fi Fridays are back on the Sci-Fi Channel Friday nights between 8 and 11. You have Stargate SG-1, then Stargate Atlantis, and then Battlestar Galactica. Now, I'm a big fan of all these shows, Galactica especially, I think. I've watched Stargate SG-1 over the years, not every show, but a lot of it. Uh, Atlantis is also a lot of fun. And Galactica, of course, over the last uh, year, I guess a year and a half, two years, has been an excellent show. They actually, there's a Ron Moore podcast that he puts out for Galactica that is, uh, I highly recommend it if you're a fan of the show. I haven't seen a new um, podcast yet out for him for the recent episode they just broadcast last Friday, but uh, I'm sure that he'll do one. A couple things about these shows. Uh, SG-1 is just a lot of fun. I like the new additions with the new characters and and the guys, Ben Browder from Farscape on there is... uh, Mitchell, and uh, he's good. This whole uh, business with the Ori is is kind of, I don't know, it's another uh, kind of super race for them to deal with, but um, it's getting interesting. Atlantis I really enjoy. I I think it's a lot of fun. It's a little more uh, lighthearted in in some ways. The character's a little more, uh, I think, fun, Uh, especially uh, Shepard on the show, John Shepard, played by Joe uh, Flanagan, I think is his last name. He's a lot of uh, fun. He's a lot like O'Neill was on the uh, earlier SG-1 shows, so I, I really enjoy that. Uh, his wisecracks and things are a lot of fun to listen to. Um, and then, of course, you have Galactica, which is which is very gritty and, and well-written and, and an intense type of show, which, which I really, really enjoy. Uh, I think they've done a great job with it. Ron Moore and the writers over there are, are really, really keeping a good story going. Um, a lot different than the old Galactica, of course. So, um, but uh, I'm I'm gonna uh, obviously continue to watch all these shows. Uh, the thing about the recent episode about Galactica, and I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it was kind of a big setup for uh, next week's show. And I thought the show overall, this this new one that they just did, was a little bit weak. Uh, I wish they would have gone in a little more depth, but they wanted to break it up again into a couple of parts. So. It uh, it was kind of more of a setup for next week's show, but I think that's a, that's going to be good. I mean, next week's going to look, you know, probably be a really good show because of that. But it's uh, it's obviously again sometimes when they do these couple part two part things or three part things, it, it sometimes appears that they have too much for one episode, but really not enough for two sometimes. So it's um, but you know those are really minor um, quibbles, I guess. It's still an excellent show, and I highly recommend it if you're a sci-fi fan to check these out. And the um, area, area, the other area, excuse me, that I wanted to talk about was sci-fi movies. It's a little bit weak, or as far as new movies right now, the uh, Blood Rain movie, which is based off a video game, came out uh, Friday, I believe, which I will most likely wait till DVD for that. Uh, I like the sword and sorcery and fantasy-type movies, but... This one just doesn't look like it's going to be that good, so I, I think I will definitely wait for the DVD on that. I am looking forward to the Underworld uh, sequel, Underworld Evolution, that will be out on January 20th in the States. It looks uh, looks cool. It looks like there's a lot of action, a lot of neat things going on in it, and I, I was a pretty big fan of the first Underworld movie. 
I thought there was a lot in there. I thought they did a good job. You know, it was a little bit hokey in some parts, and some of it was uh, was just not that tight and not that good. But I think this next one looks uh, well. I think they've learned some things from that in the first one. So we'll uh, I'll be checking that out and and probably mention that on one of the shows in the next couple of weeks. And I think that's about it that I wanted to mention for sci-fi TV and uh, news in the movies and that. Uh, of course, the summer movies won't, won't be out for a few months, but we'll be talking about those more on the podcast as we get closer to that time. I did notice on the Internet there are some new pictures up for uh, the Superman Returns movie, three or four of them. I believe I saw, I saw those. There was a link for that on uh, a good movie website called comingsoon.net. That has a lot of previews and, and information as it comes out for movies coming out. So check that out if you get a chance. And the next area that I want to talk about briefly is some uh, listener email. So we're going to get to that in a moment. Incoming transmission, Captain. got uh, a few nice emails this week. Uh, the first email I have here is from the Star Killer. It says, Hi, I stumbled upon your show one day while updating my podcast on my PSP. I really enjoy listening. I'm a big fan of the sci-fi and fantasy genre. Obviously, I am too, Star Killer. Uh, one comment of correction, though, because I spend like a week rediscovering Quantum Leap, that Sam Beckett and his body both leap said he's explained in one of these episodes because he leaps into a legless man in one episode but is still able to walk, and people see him kind of a uh, legless man walking in midair. Anyway, he has also said I, he really enjoyed my episode about uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and he says there's a, um, oh, there's a prequel story involving Julian Bashir, uh, and that he's an augment uh, or sort of a genetically engineered human, yeah, that happened in uh, Deep Space Nine episodes, so um, we might uh, touch on that later in the show. Uh, he also asked me if I was going to do something a uh, specific uh, show on time travel. I don't think I'm going to do maybe one for a while or a whole podcast on just time travel, but that's a good idea, and I, I'm going to keep that in mind. Uh, he's also said he, uh, you know, he's a big Quantum Leap fan. So thanks for the uh, email, Star Killer. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah sort of mix up on the Sam Beckett and the way he leaps. Yeah, I I misspoke really last week. It is his, his mind and body, but what I was trying to basically say was, you know, when, when people view him when he's in these other bodies, they really are seeing uh, the person they're used to, but Sam's mind is, is the one controlling things. So, um, but that's, yeah, that's a little more clear cut. Yeah, when he goes into that first episode, that quantum leap accelerator thing, he does disappear completely. Yeah, he, he goes, his mind, his body, everything. So thanks for uh, pointing that out. And we're going to go on to another email. Let me pull that up. Uh, this is from uh, my friend uh, Ricardo Lopez. I think he's written before. He says, uh, this is after seeing my video, the short podcast I did this week, where I had a video of my uh, basement and collection put up. Ricardo writes, uh, I told my wife that's what I want to do with our planned expansion. She was not happy. Well, yeah, that 
I don't want to cause any trouble there, Ricardo. I have something similar in my garage now, but my Star Trek collection is mostly limited to autographed photos, which I've, I've got a few of those also. Uh, any more news, he asks, on the animated Star Trek series. I never got to see it when it was first released. He's looking forward to uh, it coming out. Um, Ricardo, what I've heard is since next year, or this year now, 2006, is the uh, 40th anniversary of Star Trek uh, on, uh, you know, since it started in 1966, that we will be seeing a uh, animated DVD series for Star Trek, the, the, I think it's 24, 26 episodes total. That's going to be out by probably summer, maybe summer to fall is what I've heard. Paramount has officially confirmed that it is coming out, so keep an eye out for that. Um, it's going to be really good, I think. I, I think they did a lot of good uh, different uh, stories. There were a lot of the writers from the original series that worked on the animated series. It was only eh, it was about five, six years after the original series went off the air, so... I think uh, that should be really good. So I'm looking forward to that. The next email is from Chris T. Young. Uh, I think he, Chris has written. Yeah, he's written, Chris has written before. He says, hey, just catching up on a few podcasts with the holidays and all. Uh, I still haven't heard every one of them, but I did hear the one last month where you mentioned my email. Uh, very nice. He says we should uh, talk sometime and maybe uh, it sounds like we have similar tastes as far as things we were interested in when growing up from Trek, of course to digging in on the Partridge family in the 70s. He says that it even, even inspired him to be a musician, and he thinks uh, to this day, I think the background harmonies in the Partridge family songs are hypnotizing, that are that they are that good. Uh, he also, lots of other things he enjoyed of that era, the $6 million man, Land of the Giants, Logan's Run. Um, there was even a Time Machine kind of remake series that they did back in the late 70s that he remembers. Uh, with some kind of disco-lighted dance floor. I think I kind of remember that, that used some kind of Radio Shack TRS-80 hooked onto the front of it to control it. So, um, yeah, I kind of remember that a little bit, Chris. Not not real real well, but he also said uh, he's asking, he says he also has all the uh, master replica props like I do. Oh, he asked about my universal translator prop, which I talked about uh, a few podcasts back. It uh, that was from the replica prop forum, offered by uh, a guy that that is uh, a good contributor, frequenter of that forum, who makes those kits available occasionally. And I, I wrote you back, Chris, an email. I gave you a little more detail on that. So, yeah, some of the props that I have are things that I've made either from scratch, from kits. Uh, a lot of the stuff, though, recently are things that I've just purchased from thing places like Master Replicas. So. Hopefully that'll help you out in getting a universal translator of your own. The uh, oh, he also asked one last thing. He was gonna he mentioned in his email was about Master Replicas putting out a a filming model of the Enterprise. Yes, that's in their uh, product plan for 2006. Master Replicas is going to make a 33 inch, I think it's going to be almost three foot long uh, filming type model, studio scale model of the Enterprise from the original series. There's not really a lot of detail yet out on it, what it's, uh, you know, is it going to include lighting and sound effects at all, uh, cost. I'm sure it's going to be very expensive, but that's kind of a dream come true, at least for myself and probably a lot of other fans of the original Star Trek series. So we're going to be definitely keeping an eye on that coming out. So thanks again for your email, Chris. 
Got uh, another email from my friend Len Preston. He says, Rico, just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed your New Year's Eve show, which was the, uh, that was the show that I did on all the older uh, science fiction TV series. He also says the Wrath of Khan show was great too. Real good comments and info. I really like how you played the theme songs to the shows that you were going to talk about. It was fun trying to figure out which shows they went to. Yeah, I, I like that. I'm a really, really big fan of uh, or movie and or TV music and especially TV theme songs. I think they really set the mood for the show, so I liked playing those uh, also. He also liked The Man from Atlantis when it was on TV. He noticed always at the beginning of Dallas, which uh, Patrick Duffy went on to, they always would show Bobby Ewing with his shirt off it, like he had just come out of the pool there at the big uh, you know, spread that they had uh, mansion place. And uh, He always thought that was done as an homage to Duffy's role in Man from Atlantis. Yeah, I think so. I, I, he was uh, obviously a big swimmer, and um, he had done a lot of weight work and um, buffing up and toning up for the, the show from the Man from Atlantis because most of the show, you know, he's walking around in those yellow uh, swim trunks, so... I think they anytime on Dallas they could they could show him with his shirt off coming out of a shower out of a pool they they took advantage of it. Uh, Len also says he never really watched Space 1999 because he thought it was a little too odd. Yeah, he said he's maybe just a little too young to appreciate it. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's something that I watched when it was first airing and you know have the DVDs and watch it now also. But I think uh, if you're, you know, a little bit older now, you might want to give it another shot, Len, and anyone else out there that might be interested. It's something that uh, it's definitely not a, your average science fiction type TV show. It's a little, a little bit different. Some of that's the British angle, the fact that it was made in in, in Britain, although they're primarily, you know, or I guess the main characters, especially for the most part, were Americans. Although there were, there were a couple of people from England uh, on the show, or from Great Britain, I should say. So uh, give it another shot sometime, Len. Okay, I think that's going to just about do it and wrap it up for a listener email this week. One thing I wanted to mention uh, at this point is just as good as any, I guess. I just signed up for a, uh, a voicemail service for the Trex and Sci-Fi podcast for people to uh, just dial up from your cell phone or whatever phone you want to use. The number for uh, the show for the voicemail messages and just send me comments about the show Things you might like to see on uh, or listen, you know, to not really see, listen to on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast, and maybe particular episodes, some of your favorites. But anyway, whatever you want to get off your chest and talk about in science fiction, fantasy, Star Trek worlds, here's the number. It is you know, uh, area code two zero six eight eight Treks. Yes, it's two zero six eight eight Treks. Or if you just want to write down the number. It's 206-888-7357. And if you go to the main, um, if you go to the main podcast uh, section off of the website, off the treksf.com website or Treks and Sci-Fi, there is a link to the to the right. Not really a link, but a uh, little uh, link-looking box that has that voicemail number in it. And it's also on the main page right now in the update section. So there's a number 206-88-TREKS. And send me uh, some of your comments. Now we're going to get on with the main part of the show, which is going to be the Deep Space Nine pilot episode, Emissary. And I'm going to play the intro to that episode right now. 
At the edge of the universe when the future is in peril. We've got Cardassians on our back doorstep. One man faces an impossible mission. I will do the job I've been ordered to do, sir. To protect a defenseless space station. I don't believe the Federation has any business being here. Command an untested crew. And to relive a deadly encounter. You will disarm your weapons. Next time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. about uh, the third Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. And turn down that music a little bit, just let that run for a bit. Um, this show started, or this series, excuse me, started in um, 19, uh, I think it was 1992, um, or it was early 1993, early 1993, I think. The um, this was created by uh, Michael Pillar and Rick Berman. Michael Pillar passed away last year, unfortunately. But these guys basically created um, really the first Star Trek series that uh, didn't really have a lot of involvement from Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry passed away just about at the same time. He knew about Deep Space Nine and the the word and the stories that I've heard was that he was pleased with what they had planned for this um, this third Star Trek series. Now this, uh, Deep Space Nine had a lot of things that were firsts. One was they put um, an African American in command of Deep Space Nine. Avery Brooks played uh, Commander and then Captain uh, Benjamin Sisko. He was in charge of Deep Space Nine, appointed there by the Federation. And, you know, Avery Brooks is a real powerful actor, and I think he did a great job with this role. Uh, there was a lot of depth added to his character over the years, and it's, uh, I think they did it, you know, had an excellent uh, actor in that role and, and had a real good choice there. The other thing that they did uh, was put a woman, uh, played by Nana Visitor, uh, Kira Norris, was basically his second in command. She was Bajoran, she wasn't human. She had a lot of issues with, with what the Federation was doing on Deep Space Nine and in Bajoran uh, space. And that uh, added a lot of conflict and different uh, things to the show that was that were very interesting. Now, that uh, they also included uh, somebody from the cast of The Next Generation, uh, Miles O'Brien, as their engineer. Uh, he uh, came aboard Deep Space Nine, which, which that was a nice connection between... Deep Space Nine and, and the Next Generation when they did that, and I, I was happy that they did put that in place. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say about Cisco was that another big difference here was that the you know Commander Cisco had a son, Jake, which the, you know here they're putting a family man in, in command, the the lead of the show basically, and that hadn't been done. You know, Kirk didn't have any family really. Um, and also, uh, Captain Picard and the Enterprise didn't have anyone really. You know, he had friends, colleagues, and that, but but no real family 
you, you did see Picard go back and visit his family in France a couple of times, but you know, he didn't have a wife, he didn't have kids, things like that. So Cisco, that really added something, I think, to, to his character. It, it kind of grounded him. I think it made him a little more human, maybe, and a little more acceptable to uh, maybe a lot of different people that hadn't really been that interested in Star Trek before that. So I think that was a really good idea to do that, uh, put put somebody in there. Now, the uh, other main characters, Odo, uh, played by Rene Aubergenois, I believe is how you say his last name. He was a shapeshifter. You learned a lot about Odo over the years, uh, different things, where he came from, what he could do. And, you know, he was a, he's an excellent actor, and Rene is, and I, I've seen him at a couple of conventions. And, again, uh, a so- solid uh, character there. They had uh, Terry Farrell as Jadzia Dax uh, as the science officer, and she was a trill who somebody um, that uh, Ben Sisko had known previously when the the trill symbiote that's inside of her was in a different host in Curzon and now she's Jedzia and they they always played up on that during the show so that was an interesting different idea that hadn't been done before you had Julian Bashir as the the fresh-faced uh naive kind of doctor who over the course of the seven seasons on Deep Space Nine really grew a lot I'd say actually he maybe grew the most out of any of the characters you know if you i was just watching the this pilot episode emissary the other day to kind of get caught up and and remember some of these things but it's it's amazing how different and how wide-eyed he is when he first comes aboard deep space nine versus the way he is by you know seven years later And, and there was a lot you know one of the great things about deep space nine i think maybe even more than any other star trek series is how much they went into the the different backgrounds and personalities of all these characters. I mean, there isn't one of these characters that I've mentioned so far that didn't have many episodes that that dealt with them, that affected them, that involved them greatly. And they did that on um, Next Generation to some degree, but not as much. They definitely didn't do as much with some of the secondary characters on there compared to Deep Space. Um, And I think Voyager continued this, this idea and so did Enterprise. Enterprise, I don't think, really got to it as well. You know, it was cut short anyway. But Deep Space Nine, I think they just had the most well-rounded uh, characters by the end of their run, maybe more than any other of the uh, Star Trek series. And it uh, it really shows in, in the relationships and how the characters grew over the uh, seven years. And the last, I guess, main character is the character of Quark. And he ran the bar. He was a Ferengi and... Why am I blanking now all of a sudden on his, uh, the actor's name? Hang on one second. I'm going to look it up. All right. That's, sorry about that. Uh, Armin Shimmerman. Yes, of course. I should know that. I've seen him in uh, a couple of different conventions that I've been at. Armin was playing the character of Quark, the Ferengi barkeep. Uh, and, you know, again, that uh, another very well-rounded character over the years. They did a lot with the Ferengi on Deep Space Nine. And, you know, Quark at first is this, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a thief. He's kind of a scoundrel. He he doesn't really uh, like the Federation and the Bajorans. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, mistrust between them. But by the end of it, he, he's, he's kind of everyone's friend to some degree, some more than others. But uh, it, uh, again, a good character arc with, uh, with the character of Quark and, and all the rest on, on Deep Space Nine. 
Okay, now for uh, for the main uh, area, we're talking about uh, the, the first pilot episode, Emissary. Now, the um, the way this episode starts off, just to remind people if you haven't seen it in a while, it starts out at the Battle of Wolf Wolf 359, which took place in the two-part episode Best of Both Worlds from Next Generation. That was when, you know, I think I've, I've done a podcast on that. I know I did. That Captain Picard has has turned been turned into Lucutius of uh, of Borg is now controlling the Borg cube and attacking the Federation. And the uh, the neat thing about Deep Space Nine, the way they tied this in, is that uh, Commander Sisko is like the first officer on a starship, the Saratoga, and it's being attacked by Captain Picard as Lucutius of of Borg at the time, and he basically you know wipes out the Saratoga, ends up killing uh commander cisco's wife in the process and almost killing the, the whole crew and they they do make it off him and you know uh commander cisco and his son jake make it off the saratoga but what this sets up is there's a the main thrust or one of the main areas that the emissary deals with is is commander cisco and the loss of his wife that's been basically haunting him for the past three years and he's had a hard time getting over this what what's happened and it, it shows in this episode he's not really all that pleased at the beginning of being assigned to deep space nine and he has a very um difficult and sort of awkward confrontation with captain picard of the enterprise in the early part of the episode and i'm going to uh i'm going to play that uh exchange between the two of them uh right now been made aware by Starfleet of your objections to this assignment. I, I would have thought that after three years spent at the Utopia Planitia Yards that you would be ready for a change. I have a son that I'm raising alone, Captain. This is not the ideal environment. Unfortunately, as Starfleet officers, we do not always have the luxury to serve in an ideal environment. I realize that, sir. And I'm investigating the possibility of returning to Earth for civilian service. And perhaps Starfleet Command should be considering a replacement for you. That's probably a good idea. I'll look into it. In the meantime, however... In the meantime, I will do the job I've been ordered to do to the best of my ability, sir. So you can obviously, uh, you can obviously tell between from that clip uh, pretty clearly that uh, Cisco and Picard, or Cisco has a real big issue with Picard. He obviously knows that Picard was was forced against his will to to do what he did with the Borg, uh, Borgified and and turned into Lucutius, and that it's it's really truly not his fault. However. You know, Cisco is—he's—he's he's a pretty emotional guy. You know, he's probably a little more emotional than Picard ever showed uh, on Next Generation, and he has a son, a wife, and, and that—you know—I I can empathize with that situation. You know, I have a wife, I have two sons, and if no matter what, you know, excuse or thing happened, if anything happened to them, no matter what. You know, if there was somebody that was responsible for it, whether they were acting on their own, whether there was, you know, it was an accident, you'd really be pretty upset about that. I know I would be. 
no matter what the situation or circumstances or excuses were. So this this creates a, a lot of tension between Picard and Cisco. And, and the neat, nice thing about the episode is the way they, they sort of hand off, you know, there's this um, a little bit of the next generation involved in this with Picard and O'Brien in this initial uh, pilot episode. And that's a nice exchange. The, uh, the two series, you know, the Next Generation Deep Space Nine overlapped for a couple of years on the air, about two years approximately, and they, they brought in, you know, um, they brought in Deep Space Nine as a, as a replacement for the, the soon-to-be uh, going off the air Next Generation, and they have a little handoff of that situation or that deal in this episode. So so they don't like each other. And, and you hear in that clip that Cisco wants off Deep Space Nine. He doesn't think it's a good place for Jake to be. And he, he's just kind of fed up with Starfleet, in a way, and doesn't really want to be part of all this. Now, the next clip, actually, this is a little out of order. I'm going to go back uh, a little bit earlier in the episode and play a clip. Uh, this will uh, key you in on on the battle of Wolf 359 on the Saratoga with, with Cisco and him having to leave his wife... Uh, on, on the ship and escape with his son. So listen to this. Jennifer, hold on. Sir, just help me to get her free. She's gone. There's nothing we can do. We have to leave. Warning. Damage to warp core. Containment failure in two minutes. Benson, take the boy. Hi, sir. We've got to go now, sir. Damn it! We just can't leave her here! That's a real, real, uh, real powerful scene there with uh, Cisco having to leave his his wife, even though she's she's already dead, she's trapped. But um, it's difficult for him, and it really uh, adds a lot of weight to this episode. It was. I think the, um, you know, the the idea or the the way they did the pilot of Deep Space Nine is is pretty unusual. When I was watching this again the other day with my uh, younger son, it, you know, it kind of struck me that you know there's a lot of deep and powerful themes and things going on in this pilot episode. You know, for a first uh, show uh, of a new series. It's it's really they took a lot of risks in a way. I mean, this is not the the, the happiest go luckiest uh, crew in Starfleet uh, or crew uh, out there in the Federation getting them all together. I mean, these people have major problems. Uh, they're, they're all messed up to some degree more than you know some more than others, especially Cisco. Uh, primarily in, in this episode, it shows. But uh, but that's the neat thing, you know. These these people they they work through their problems, and he does work through this by the end of the episode. So that that's an important point that he keeps going. He he keeps trying, and it's uh, I think that's a, that's one of the messages. You know, they always call Deep Space Nine kind of the the dark and gritty uh, Star Trek. You know that I think it's just more in a way real, actually. I think this is is this reality. People people go through things, and it, it's how you deal with that. Uh, it's like Kirk says at the end of uh, Wrath of Khan. You know, how, you know how we uh, how we deal with death is as important as how we deal with life. And you know, I don't get real all metaphysical and philosophical on a, on a podcast, but it, it, it's an important comment. And that's one of the things I've always loved about Star Trek is that 
you know, it, it's fun. They have battles. They, you know, shoot phasers. They go to strange new worlds and all that. But there's messages. There's meaning. There, there's depth to these stories, just, just like on the New Galactica, that you don't see in a lot of other science fiction. Um, and, and that, to me, it makes it special. And that's what makes it great. So, anyway, let's go on to another clip. This, um, the next clip that I'm going to play is when Cisco um, meets up with Kaiopaka on Bajor, who's their sort of religious leader there. And this is an interesting clip. It, it, it has a lot to do with what's going on in this sh- episode where Cisco is the turns into be the emissary for uh, the Bajoran people, basically. So listen to this. Your arrival has been greatly anticipated. Have you ever explored your power, Commander? Power? A Bajoran draws courage from his spiritual life. Our life force. Our power is replenished by the prophets. Breathe. Um, Kaiopaka, if we could discuss... Breathe! One who does not wish to be among us is to be the emissary. Please come with me. Yeah, that's uh, that's Cisco and Kaiopaka there. Um, one thing I noticed when I was watching this again was how much they dress up the Kais in the uh, in Deep Space Nine, like Guinan was dressed up in the robes and the funny hats on uh, Next Generation. I don't know if that was intentional or if it was just because they had a, a the same costume designer working at the time. I don't know, but uh, I thought that was kind of uh, an interesting little thing. The um, the next clip, uh, so that, oh, just talking about that one for a second, sorry. Um, the, the They're hinting there at Kai Opaka when she sort of eh, kind of, touches Cisco's, you know, ear and head, uh, she kind of gets a sense of his sort of aura, or they call it his pa. Uh, the Bajorans are very spiritual people, and she senses in Cisco that even though he's meant to be, he's sort of destined in a way to be this emissary character for them, that he's, um, he, he's not truly wanting to be there, that he's sort of living in, in the past to some degree, and this comes out more in the episode, living in that time of uh when the saratoga was attacked so we'll get on uh with that a little bit later in the in the discussion here the next clip though i'm going to play for you is um this is just a fun little clip this is when first when um dax and bashir show up on deep space nine and there's a nice little exchange between uh the three of them between uh dax bashir and um commander cisco so listen to this you and Dr. Bashir go ahead. I'm afraid I have to put Lieutenant Dax to work right away. Jadzia. Oh. Maybe we could get together later for dinner. Or, 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 or drink. I'd be delighted. He's a little young for you, isn't he? He's 27. I'm 28. 328, maybe. Did you tell him about that slug inside of you? Yes, Benjamin. He knows I'm a trill. He finds it fascinating. He's never met a joined species before. I wonder if he'd been as fascinated if you still looked the way you did the last time I saw him. Perhaps not. 
This is going to take some getting used to. Don't be ridiculous. I'm still the same old Dax. More or less. Yeah, I like that. I like that little exchange there between the three of them, between uh, Julian Bashir, the doctor, fresh-faced, and, and this uh, character of Jedzia Dax, uh, played by Terry Farrell. You know, she's got a she's got a sort of um, show that she has this this sort of worldly experience because you know she's hundreds of years old, or at least the the symbiote trill inside of her. Uh, where sorry, she's she's a trill. Um, I always get those things confused. Uh, excuse me. But, uh, you know, she's kind of this sort of a little more worldly than, than fresh-faced Dr. Bashir is. Now, Terry Farrell uh, eventually, for the last season, unfortunately, was replaced uh, by another actress uh, for this um, for Dax. Esri Dax came in. I won't talk too much about that now, probably in the future, but Terry Farrell is a real fun actress. I, I saw her at a con one time. She did a neat little thing I'll just mention real briefly. Um, Somebody else was on stage, I think, I believe it was Michael Dorn who plays, uh, you know, Worf on Next Generation and ends up on Deep Space Nine for the last couple of, two, three, sorry, three seasons, I think. Uh, Michael Dorn's on stage, I believe, and, and she is out and, like, she slips in, she kind of has a baseball cap on, kind of hiding herself a little bit, and, and there's a lineup of, of asking questions of Michael Dorn, and uh, Terry Farrell ends up in the front of the line, and, and ask them some kind of question about, hey, I hear you're 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 getting hitched up with that Dax girl or something. She asks some kind of question like that, and then, you know, he 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 chuckles a lot and realizes it's it's Terry out there asking him the question, and and they have a good time. But I don't know. I always remember that little part when I when I saw that, just because it said, you know, hey, she's she's pretty cool. That that was kind of a fun thing to do. She's out there in the audience with all the other people around. She doesn't care. And, She's kind of making fun a little bit of uh, Michael Dorn on stage. And Michael Dorn, I don't know how many of you listening to the show have seen uh, a lot of these uh, actors for the show um, for all the Star Trek series at conventions. But if you haven't, you know, get it, you know, get it, get out there and take a look sometime. It's it's fun, and you get to see a different side of these people. But Michael Dorn is just, I, I think he's just hilarious on, on on stage. He's he's a real fun guy, and he's always real gracious to the fans uh him and marina surtees and terry farrell and 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 many many of the other ones um are are really good jonathan frakes is real fun um they're they're all good good people and uh definitely check out a convention if you've never been if you're a star trek fan go sometime uh because it's a lot of fun it's it's not quite like it used to be you know some of the ones i've gone to over the years are a little more low um low key and not as many people as some of the big big ones they have now in vegas and in california but uh i i definitely uh would suggest you go take a look sometime and see what uh what it's all about all right let's move on in this uh episode let me uh cue up the next clip that i want to play yeah the uh the next clip we're going to get into now um they discover this wormhole that's outside or, or near uh Bajor that uh is is highly unusual it's not a typical wormhole they're used to seeing and and uh dax and cisco go out in a runabout to investigate it and when they do that they sort of get um well they well they first they go through the wormhole they end up on the other side and they end up in the gamma quadrant which is like way far away from from the alpha quadrant where the federation is primarily and then they they jump back in the wormhole and then all of a sudden they're on this sort of like planetoid kind of thing, and Cisco and Dax both sort of meet up with these um, 
the the Bajorans call them the prophets, but the, it's basically this this highly advanced alien race or species that sort of created has created this wormhole uh, in space there. And it's it, difficult for me to explain exactly what happens inside the wormhole, but Cisco basically starts to try to communicate. Dex gets basically swooshed out and, and sent back to Deep Space Nine by the by the we'll just call them the prophets uh, inside there the the wormhole aliens they sometimes call and refer them refer to them in the show but Cisco remains behind and he's the idea of the emissary comes from the fact that he's sort of the emissary between Bajor and these these alien beings inside this wormhole and they have a uh, they try to communicate with each other and I'm going to play a little bit they they're very different and the, the neat thing about this is they're not the typical humanoid kind of uh you know funky aliens that that star trek normally meets up with these are very different aliens they don't understand cisco at first but here's a little exchange between cisco and the wormhole aliens it is responding to visual and auditory stimuli linguistic communication yes linguistic communication are you capable of communicating with me what are you My species is known as human. I come from a planet called Earth. Earth? This is what my planet looks like. You and I are very different species. It will take time for us to understand one another. What is this time? I should have uh, should have mentioned if you didn't recall that uh, the way the, the wormhole aliens communicate with Cisco is they, they sort of assume the appearance and look of people uh, and things that he's familiar with. Uh, Captain Picard there, his son Jake. Uh, there's a lot that he's um, speaking with his 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 wife Jennifer, which is which is re- very hard for him. You know, his wife has been dead for three years, and. The wormhole aliens they they pick up on the fact that he he is so much thinking about her still that they use her form to communicate with him and they're the, the one of the difficult uh, one of the difficult points that uh, Cisco tries to get across to them is is how the um, we operate humans and the, and the people that he's used to and, and that um, operate in what's known as like linear time. Which means, you know, we have what happens, you know, minutes ago is the past now for us. We're, we're in the present, and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But the uh, the aliens really don't understand that concept. They seem to know everything of, of all times all at once. So this is something that he tries to uh, he tries to explain this to them. And they go through a series of different scenes where where he's using different images and different memories to explain that the birth of Jake, the birth of his son, and his son grows up. Uh, he uses this baseball analogy because he's a big Cisco's a big baseball fan, and he he shows them and explains that you know in a, in a, a game or you know of any kind of a game like baseball, you don't know what's going to happen. You go through the the game and you don't really know is there going to be a hit, is it going to be an out, what's going to happen. And he uses that analogy to explain that to these aliens about you know linear time so that that's a real interesting concept i think the next clip that i'm going to play for you is a clip that uh is also with the wormhole aliens and cisco and it's about the um 
him trying to, or he's stuck in the past. The fact that he's still stuck back on the Saratoga when his wife passed away. So I'll play that clip for you um, right now. You value your ignorance of what is to come? That may be the most important thing to understand about humans. It is the unknown that defines our existence. We are constantly searching, not just for answers to our questions, but for new questions. We are explorers. We explore our lives day by day. And we explore the galaxy, trying to expand the boundaries of our knowledge. And that is why I am here. Not to conquer you with weapons or with ideas, but to coexist and learn. If all you say is true, why do you exist here? That's uh, again a good uh, a good little analogy clip there to uh, Cisco's trying to explain this whole concept of time to uh, these wormhole aliens again, and they're they're having trouble with it. A lot of the reason they're having trouble at the time is that you know Cisco is stuck in the past, and he realizes it, and he realizes he needs to move on that he can't keep hanging on to uh, the death of his wife from three years ago. And he needs to, in order to do what he's telling them about, in order to learn and grow, he needs to move on. And he comes to that conclusion kind of basically by talking to these aliens. And he, he's he's definitely better off for it. He's changed, and he's accepting his, his new position as commander of Deep Space Nine. And the last clip that I want to play for the show, and then we're going to come back with a quick look at a collectible for the week, is uh, this is a clip kind of to wrap up the episode. It starts out with uh, Picard again. There's another uh, exchange uh, between Captain Picard on the Enterprise and Commander Sisko, and it's a it's quite a bit different exchange than it was in the early part of the episode. So listen to this, and then it wraps up with a little bit on back on Deep Space Nine between some of the other people, uh, the other characters, and and it finishes off the episode nicely. Uh, so listen to this clip, and then we're going to come back uh, with the rest of the show. Well, you've put Bajor on the map, Commander. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Captain, regarding our conversation about someone to replace me, yes, I'm sorry I haven't had time yet to communicate that to command. I would prefer you ignore it, sir. I'm not sure that I can. Are you certain that's what you want? Because we cannot afford to have a commanding officer who is... I'm certain, sir. Good luck, Mr. Sisko. Where can someone practice with his face around here? No rules. You can't cheat every customer who walks through the door anymore, Quark. You are a community leader now. Very well, very well. Perhaps we could discuss these new rules over a drink. 
If you don't take that hand off my hip, you'll never be able to raise a glass with it again. Of a woman in uniform. And three Fernalian science vessels are requesting permission to dock. Problem is, we've been retrofitting the airlock, sir. Half of them were damaged during the move, and most of the others when the Cardassians blew out the fuel conduits. I guess they'll just have to transport the wheel. Okay, so I'm back. That was, of course, uh, the, the wrap-up there with uh, Deep Space Nine pilot episode, Emissary. Great TV uh, series, great Star Trek series. And uh, check it out again if you haven't seen it in a while. I know they're, they're showing reruns uh, on various uh, cable channels. You can also, of course, pick up the DVDs. All the DVD season sets are out. They do a nice job on those. They have nice packaging, some extras. So, um take a look now for uh for this week's collectible we're going to be pretty brief as usual um i recently just a couple of weeks back got a um it's a master replicas the collectible i'm going to talk about is master replicas uh, predator spear and th- this item was seen in both um the predator 2 film primarily and also in the alien versus predator movie from uh, i think that was like last summer or a year ago summer of uh 2004 year and a half i guess now um this item is that long uh, and it extends on both ends spear type item that the predators use to attack their prey with uh the replica and there'll be pictures of course uh you can get to um via the podcast notes section and the collection gallery on my uh on the website you can uh you can see the um this replica, though, does not extend like that. This is a sort of compacted down version, but it's a, it's still a real nice little item. It has a lot of nice detail. The control pad is visible that the uh, predators will use to uh, make it uh, open up. It's made primarily out of a resin plastic material uh, that's that's finished and painted really nice. It looks uh, looks pretty deadly. It looks pretty realistic, and it comes with a nice. Uh, sort of wall mounting plaque that you can hang it up on the wall that's the the photographs that i have and i'll probably take a couple other shots of it just on its own but um it it has two little hoops basically that allow you to they go onto the plaque and then you can mount it up on the wall and uh it's it's a real neat little item this is still also available they they still have these for sale at the masterreplicas.com website and i'll link that up also in the in the show notes for this week it is um it's not real expensive. It's a little bit... Uh, they actually have been on sale occasionally lately. Sometimes you can even get better deals than some of these rap- master replica items off of uh, eBay. So this this is a little bit less expensive than some of the other replicas like the lightsabers and Star Trek items that, that I've talked about in the past. So if, if you're into the Predator series and the Alien Predator type movie... Uh, this this is a neat neat little thing to have uh, to go along with like the alien tracker that they put out. Um, I also have, uh, which I might talk about next week, uh, the um, the alien chestburster. Uh, it's like a little statue type piece. It's the one that was seen in the Alien Predator movie. 
at the end of it. So we'll be talking about that in the future, maybe next week's show. Okay, I think uh, I think that's going to do, just about do it for this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Hopefully it's been interesting talking about and hearing about Deep Space Nine again. And like I said last week, I, I'm still not going to really talk about what I'm going to be doing on next week's show. Uh, like I said, during the week I come up with different ideas and what I want to do. I have a pretty clear idea for next week's show, which some people on the forums already know about, uh, but... I may change that up, may, may do that in a different fashion, so we'll see. So it's going to be a surprise. Anyway, visit the forums, visit the website if you want more information on the show. Again, it's at www.treksf.com. This is Rico signing off for Treks and Sci-Fi for this week, show number 20. Have a good week, everyone, and uh, watch some nice sci-fi on TV, movies, and shoot me a voicemail if you if you get a chance, 20688 7357 or 20688-TREX with an S on the end of it. Talk to you guys all next week. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dosti podcast production.